Hello, and welcome to another episode of Ladywood, where uh, two big fans of the show and one person who have never seen it be- who has never seen it before are watching and discussing the series from a kind of feministy perspective, just by nature of who we are. I am Lynn Sternberger. I'm a television writer in Los Angeles. I'm Brandi Sperry, a writer in Los Angeles and the co-host of the Downton Gabby podcast. And my name is Sita Sean. I'm a stand-up comedian and comedy writer, also in Los Angeles. And we're all real-life friends. Friends. And women. <laughs> we care about the plight of the women in this show, uh, which is what, which was sort of the origin of this particular podcast in the first place. Today we are discussing the ninth episode of the first season. It is called No Other Sons or Daughters, and it was written by Ed Bianchi and directed by George Putnam. Uh, this first aired on May 16th of 2004, and uh, in summary, with annexation looming, Swearingen calls a meeting to set up an informal government. Bullock and Alma compare notes on Ellsworth and each other. I see what they did there. Uh, <laughs> Joni searches for new options in Deadwood as Jane heads out of town to find hers. The health of the camp's reverend continues to worsen, a plight that begins to weigh heavy on the mind of Dr. Cochran. Because man never gets a break. Dr. Cochran. Doc the doc. <laughs> so we open on Bullock setting up Alma with Ellsworth as a potential person to oversee her claim. I liked it. As soon as Bullock said Ellsworth, I was like, yay, I love Ellsworth. <laughs> So I guess this is the person that he and Al have agreed upon is appropriate. Actually, I think we see that a little mm-hmm. bit too. But I don't know what, I guess Al doesn't have a, a horse in this fight anymore. Like, what is there to be done? She has struck it rich. Al doesn't own the claim. He's not getting his grubby hands on it. And so now the whole thing is, well, who's going to run it? Because Alma is not equipped to mine the earth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, although right. that would be funny. I mean, I'd like to see that. Put on her mountaineering gear yeah. and get out there. You got to see her husband, her dead husband, Brahms, like, little, I'm going into the woods outfit. I want to see what Alba's version she of that is. She can pull is. it from the same magic trunk where she's getting her morning wear. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Like Mary Poppins' handbag. Alma has a magic carpet bag, and she takes out some sort of, like, brocaded, like, <laughs> pedal pushers. I don't know what I see her getting dirty in nothing ever (laughs) the woman doesn't get dirty so bullock is setting her up and saying well i like the guy you draw your own conclusions and see if you want to do business with him which i think is awesomely feminist yes letting the woman Mm -hmm. he's helping her for sure but also he's empowering her to be making decisions about her life and her future and i love that that's not the only feminist moment in this show from a dude this is like an early feminism moment so I, it's a low bar to clear for for these guys but one of the things i really liked in this episode is uh when eddie spoke up at the town meeting so let's talk about the town meeting a little bit oh my god well the reassembly of the, the patriarchy <laughs> yeah that's exactly what i thought um, if the previous episode was all about the female characters and the re- the fallout from being with these horrendous men this episode is like return to patriarchy <laughs> Somebody from a neighboring town, a representative of the U.S. government. The um, judge, right? It's the magistrate from Yankton. It's the same guy that was there for their sort of their trial. trial. Yeah. So the magistrate is back, and it's under the auspices of saying, well, here's what you need to set, set up the town to be incorporated into the, the U.S., 
but really it's to deliver a set of bribes that will be necessary to fulfill in order for things to go as Al and everybody in the town would like them to go, which is that everybody who's improved upon the land gets to stay there Mm -hmm. uh, and own it. In the follow-up, Al calls together an impromptu town meeting. Basically the same people that met for the vaccination. There's like, it's the same people, peaches and pears again. (laughs) Charlie Utter's there now. Oh, Charlie Utter's there. I like that. Yeah, Joni sends him there, which I thought was so sweet that we got to see that interaction and that she was like, you know, the meeting that's happening at the gem now that you should attend. (laughs) I was headed that way myself. I like his frock coat, by the way. I felt very sad that people were insulting Charlie's frock coat. But yeah, so at the meeting, they need to form a temporary ad hoc organization Not a full government that would paint them as rebels against the United States, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but enough structure to show that they can easily be given status and the land shouldn't be given back to the Sioux as originally agreed in another treaty. Mm -hmm. This is the kind of thing that makes me like very uncomfortable to just think about American history because I'm like, they really should have given that land back. (laughs) This is, I mean, I, I thought exactly the same thing because there's such like an obsession with legitimacy when it comes to government. But the founding of America is really just a bunch of randos getting together and being like, we're going to be legitimate now. It's ours now. <laughs> it's ours now. That's what this is. Right. Like, we have guns and you have arrows. Mm-hmm. So, Well, and also the most fortunate men in the town literally hatching a scheme for how they can get just the people in the street to pay the bribes that are most going to benefit them that are sitting at the table. Exactly. Exactly. And I love, it's just like, it galls me because all of these founding fathers, the sort of like the amount of glamour and respect we give them and how we have to respect their words. Who knows what the fuck they were actually doing at the time, you know? They were just like a loose confederation of rebels that got together and decided what was best for them, not for the rest of anybody else in the country. No, they were so noble, Sita. Everyone was just nothing but noble the whole time. But what Eddie says is great. Eddie, um, there's uh, this mention of a license fee uh, to open up a new business. So Eddie's uh, question to the council, this loose ad hoc council, was if women pay this uh, same license fee as a man, does she have the right to operate the business the same as a man? Well, I don't, I think he's... Fucking with Sai. Yeah, he's, he's <laughs> angry with Sai and he's lashing out at him, right? Because he doesn't, I don't think Eddie thinks that Sai will ever come through on Mm -hmm. this deal that he's struck with Joni. It's hard to peel apart Eddie's motivations. We don't know him very well before Mm -hmm. this episode. And then he has this confrontation with Sai before that town meeting. And I at first was like, is he jealous? Because Sai has offered this business, you know, opportunity to Joni and not to Eddie. And Eddie's been by his side as approximately as long as Joni has. Like, Mm -hmm. what's the deal there? Or is he just fond of Joni and knows that Sai is fucking with her life some more. It's unclear. But then when he goes up to the meeting and he's like clearly just digging it, he has mm-hmm. his own agenda. It has mm-hmm. nothing to do with how things are actually going to play out in Deadwood. It's yeah. more like, I want to I wanna piss you off because you pissed me off. I think it's as simple as that. And I wanted to mention, Eddie is gay. I was right. Or Eddie at is least, gay. I mean, to, to hear it from Sai. Mm-hmm. Um, who is like, I never had a real problem with it, you know. Um, I did not remember this at all. I didn't remember it either. So you you really just had the vibe. Yeah, Eddie, Eddie <laughs> had the vibe. I was, I, my gaydar was working, I guess. 
What an insane speech from Sai, too. Like, that speech, like, oh, you wanted to sodomize the boy, and I killed him, so, like, that makes your your part of my crime? That made no sense whatsoever. I can't believe how calm Eddie stays through that whole thing mm-hmm. when I would have been, like, off the rails. I would have stabbed him in his leg again. I hate that fucker. Right? Yeah. Where'd you get stabbed in the leg? I'm gonna kick you right there. <laughs> The problem with this storyline, though, is that Psy is so over the top and so much, and Powers Booth's performance is so over the top, that a lot of times I am distracted just thinking about, like, these kinds of details. Like, eh, I just wish somebody would kill him, you know? In a way way that I'm not when someone, like, Al is getting scary at someone. My favorite bad guys have layers, and I'm not sure what the layers are to Psy besides sexual obsession with Joni Mm -hmm. and the control freak sociopath sociopathy like Mm -hmm. i i don't know what's there right and it's weird because it's not like we have a ton of information that tells us why al is the way he is so i don't think it's that that we don't have a ton of backstory i think it's really just the way these scenes are being written and played is a little too theatrical compared to everything else i i would agree and uh so basically while i was feeling very vindicated when I learned that Eddie was gay, I also was like, why are we spending so much time on the fight between these two? Mm-hmm. Is this going to be important? doesn't seem like Eddie holds much power. He's a dealer. A right. card dealer. Not even right. a drug dealer. So, like, where is this going? Like, Sai is just flexing on Eddie and taking out his anger at the situation where he overreacted and thus put Joni into a tailspin of depression. And he's taking that out. On I, Eddie. I feel like it's like meant to point out that Sai is never intending on actually giving Joni her freedom, but we know that. Yeah. Like we know that, right? Joni goes walking through like the Chinatown of Deadwood for a while looking for the right. new new room that she's gonna set up her brothel in. And I in just want boots all muddy. Oh, I'm her so sad on. when she stepped in that mud. <laughs> she wearing white boots. Why was she? I know. Yeah, come on. I know. She brought um, it on herself. <laughs> she wasn't wearing her fancy hat, was she? No, no just she the white boots. She yeah. had a different hat on. She was, she was dressed down for the occasion. She had like a little belt that had like a little wallet on. Yeah. I was like, oh, it's business, Jody. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Barbie has all those accessories depending upon the scenario in which right. she's like. So this was Jody going out into the world to find a storefront, yeah. I guess. A plot that she can yeah. build a brothel on. So leading up to the aforementioned scene where she and Charlie interact but before that she passes by Wu's pig pen mm-hmm. and sees Flora's dress in there yeah. yeah so she has a little bit of a PTSD flashback it seems like she's sort of reeling a little bit when she does run into Charlie and kind of he pulls her out of the clouds a little bit with his idle chit chat <laughs> I think there's actually a pretty interesting comment about clothing in this episode because um, Charlie's wearing the the frock coat that doesn't suit him, and you know the saying like goes, <laughs> the saying goes, uh, "Clothes make the man," and Charlie's doubtful of the man that he's trying to become, oh, like sure. the like the person that owns the the freight and delivery and everything. And then with the mention, uh, with that visual mention of Flora's old dress, it's clothing also remind you of somebody that used to exist. So there's like a couple of really good visual things I really liked. Mm-hmm. Um, just using uh, using costumes. And Joni gives the speech, I think, mm-hmm. to Charlie. Mm-hmm. To be like, well, you're wearing it. You're wearing it today. So you're going to be that man today. You know, like, I think she was talking herself into it as well. Yeah. Be, being like, I have to become the woman that I 
want to be like I have to just fake it till I make it yep kind of hence the outfit for her I like the scene I like the idea of a burgeoning friendship between the two of them who are two people who are like both struggling a little bit after losing the person who was sort of controlling their life obviously Sai is still around but the relationship has deteriorated so much that Joni can no longer get anything positive from it and obviously Bill died so they're both sort of wondering who they're going to be going forward yeah and then we see the person that jane has become in this episode which is oh it's she's just at her lowest she's, she's so on a bender she's uh filthy like just disgusting and um we're at a at a loss for what her purpose is going to be once this pest tent is gone mm-hmm. she doesn't know who she is anymore it's ultimately she walks out of town And I was like, I forgot this happened, (laughs) and I'm not okay with it. And Charlie and her have that great conversation where he's trying to keep her around. He offers her any job job that she wants, and she just doesn't take it. I don't know what she imagined she's going to do, but she can't stay there. She, I mean, she says... drunk in the town where her friend died. Exactly. I mean, she says it out loud. It's like she doesn't have a purpose. She doesn't have a rudder without Bill Hickok around. It sounds like, you know, she's leaving to get herself straight. But no, she's like, no, I'm just leaving to continue being a drunk. (laughs) Um, So I I hope she's back soon. Uh, Let's talk about Seth and the Widow. Ooh, what a sexy conversation. Uh, so at the big, is it at the top of the episode where he's not allowed to come into her room, but then at the end of the episode, he's all up in that room? It was on the previous episode. She goes into a quite hilarious, awkward explanation yeah. trying to tell Sophia why she's going to go down to the restaurant to talk to Mr. Bullock because he can't come in. And in this episode, she's like, step on in my chamber. <laughs> have a seat oh yes it's late but i don't mind <laughs> she's asleep <laughs> yeah. i enjoyed it yeah and then he drops the detail that he's about to send for his wife and kid and you can't did alma already know he was married because she reacts very calmly to that i think she, she had knew, a moment i think, I think she think. knew he was married i don't mm. think she knew he had a son that's what it seems like from mm. the conversation but how did she know he was married just it, she must have inquired yeah he must have gotten around i mean he told bill mm-hmm. that he was married right his family right I, I mean it's not a super secret we just definitely didn't see her. we didn't see her explicitly married. yeah but it's also a really tiny town mm-hmm. and they all seem to know each other's businesses so but she never leaves the fucking hotel <laughs> hey she watches from that window man she's like the second panopticon <laughs> right, right but then he so he leaves and I really wanted him to knock again and come back in and have like the full like. I knew you wanted out. that. <laughs> when I was watching the scene, I was actively thinking of Brandy um, because you are for sure the most invested. Uh, actually, I don't know, Cena. Maybe you're invested, but and I was like, oh god, this is very sexually tense. What's gonna happen? Yeah. And then he leaves, and I was like, if this were Grey's Anatomy, <laughs> he would knock on the door, and then they would kiss, and we'd go out on that, and instead, Alma blows out the lamp and goes to bed. And I was like, ah. I felt bad for you. <laughs> Sorry. Well, let's, let's, also, let's also mention the fact that Seth like left a very important piece of information, and which was when Alma asked, "Why did well, why did you tell me that your brother had died?" 
And it oh, turned yeah. out that the piece of information was that he married his brother's widow and that he it's not really his son, it's his brother's son. So Bodhi which, would be totally okay. And Bodhi would totally be okay. That's essentially what he's applying. And then he leaves and then Alma blows out the lamp and I was like, she's totally rubbing one out after the lamp goes out. It was a cock tease. It was a massive cock tease. Which or is, pussy tease, I don't know. Like, it was a like, total you, pussy tease. Why would you do that, Bullock? And what I don't think you, this happens in American TV shows, but in Asian TV shows, uh, blowing out the candles, a pretty classic visual metaphor for getting it on. Oh, yeah. So, but we got a literal blowing out the candle and a definitely not getting it on. He's gone. <sighs> but we would feel so shafted, haha, if, uh, if the next episode opened up and they were in bed together and we hadn't seen it. Come on. They're playing a long game. They're definitely building the sexual tension, layering it on, and then and then not giving it to us so that it'll feel even better when it finally happens, right? Right? He right. like gave her the green light. It like I was like, I cannot believe he said that to her. Like that's really that's like an invitation. He really wanted her to know that he had not married for love, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Similarly exactly. to what he knows about her previous circumstances. And he obviously knows that she's not it, she's mourning with quotation marks around it for her. Doesn't seem marriage. You know? <laughs> Doesn't really seem like it. So. <laughs> Mourning's like an excuse to be very fabulous in outfits for her, you know? Right. She's not exactly devastated by the loss of her husband, just like he's not exactly like romantically missing his wife. But she's also riding the high of sobriety still. It's not <laughs> yeah. been very long, and she's definitely seeing the world through wide open eyes now and, and liking it and have seemingly having a much better time of it. It's hard to uh, extract sort of from from that time in her life when she was like in a deep well of despair that she was self-medicating. Mm-hmm, you know? Sure. And now he's dead. So, but also she's sober and also she just struck it rich. Things yeah. are going okay. Yeah. It's pretty, her. it's heady times for Alma because I'm imagining that this is probably one of the first times she's been really on her own without a chaperone right. for most of her life because she would have had a chaperone until she married Brom and then Brom was her chaperone and then Brom got himself killed because he was super stupid and now she's on her own and she's rich. I have a question which is do Seth and Saul sleep in the store? Do they have like hide-a-beds in there or something? <laughs> That's a great question. Because now I'm worried that he's not going to be able to go rub one out after this. <laughs> Tense. He does not seem like the kind of guy who's relieving himself every day. I believe they do sleep in the store. Like, I, I don't think it's a spoiler to be like, I think I remember the geography of the setup, and I yeah. believe that there's a back room that they sleep in. Yeah. I think Seth goes on his horse, rides out to the woods, rubs one out, okay. comes back yeah. in, sleeps soundly for eight I hours. Mean, he's so tense. He's so angry. I think he really needs that. Oh, I, I, I don't think, I disagree, Sita. I don't think he's going to the woods because I don't think Bullock is a man of, who would, who would jerk off in the woods. Really? However. Really? I, I think do. he would totally jerk off in the woods. I think he would come <laughs> home a little like hot and bothered and Saul would immediately know what was up and would leave. <laughs> he would leave. And then, like, Bullock could, the Bullock could, like, put his suspenders on the door to be like, don't come back again. <laughs> That's totally what would happen. And don't ask where the lanolin went. Oh, yeah. But I mean, Saul would just go flirt with Trixie for a little while. Don't ask about the lanolin. Is that what we're yeah. thinking was? Okay. <laughs> 
Okay, well, let's talk about Saul and Trixie, too, because well, this is a much nicer little flirtation. I love the scene leading up to Saul going into the gym to try to talk to Trixie, where Seth is just kind of listening to him. Be like, did you notice? The girl, you know, that girl whose name I can't recall. Oh, Trixie, oh, you said it was. Trixie. <laughs> and he asks, like, do you think she's pretty? And then Seth's answer is just very. And it's really cute because, like, you could tell that he knows exactly what's going on. Yeah. You know, just with that one word answer. It's also pretty progressive that these two upstanding gentlemen of the town, business owners, mm-hmm. are uh, thinking of Trixie as a potential suitor. Right, but Trixie can't think of herself that way, and I love the dialogue between her and Saul as she's just kind of trying to tell him, listen, I would be interested if not for the circumstances, and literally, I don't want you to see me this way. Please yeah. leave. Yeah. She's um not got a lot of self-esteem, and I think that this will be her journey. How will Trixie learn to love herself and thus love Saul and bone him? <laughs> I thought this right as he was going to find Trixie. I was like, oh, Saul, going to find your favorite whore at her place of employment. It's not going to be a happy ending, at least not for you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he's just, he is that innocent, I think, that Mm -hmm. he thinks he can just offer to buy her a drink and it's not going to be extremely loaded given the circumstances. Right. I think Deadwood has been, um, the show, not the town, has been kind to them so far. Yeah treating them with kid gloves a bit because there's another version of of that scene at the gym where Saul goes, offers her a drink, and then she gets a client. And Mm -hmm. she's like, I gotta go fuck this guy. But you're right. You know, instead, she sort of, like, gets to wander off and and Mm -hmm. seeing her crawl back into Al's bed is a completely separate thing. Or there's a third version where Al or Dan or some other henchman comes up and kind of tosses Saul out, like, realizing what he's doing. Completely, like, if you're not going to buy the goods, don't talk to the goods. Don't flirt with the goods. And then he tries to defend her, and then there's a fight, you know? Like, there's a lot of ways that could have gone besides him just putting his hat back on and leaving with a little flirtation. Flirtation. Yeah, they get privacy, which is yeah uncommon. Unheard of in Deadwood. I thought that very last scene where Al was like, I hope you made $5, and Trixie was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope I'm getting more gold where that came from. And she's like, no to that too. Uh, you get what you get. Right. How far is Trixie going to be able to push this like slight amount of independence that she's gained for herself or at least learned that... Al will care about her enough that if he's worried about her, he won't hurt her. I'm, I'm worried that he's going to reach the end of his rope with this and do something drastic. Um, I did want to mention that uh, we see Farnham get a handjob in Ugh. celebration of electing Ugh. himself mayor. Ugh. Oh my God. And that was really uncomfortable for me to see. I, I really like, like didn't, didn't think that E.B. was really into he's not that. Sexual. Like he seemed a little asexual yeah. to me. And the look on his face didn't even I don't I don't even want to talk about the look on his face. Never mind. <laughs> his hair was <laughs> flopping all over the oh, place. God. Next to that new piano. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was like Al's antagonist this episode too, is the new the piano. piano. That was so funny. It interrupted the meeting of the patriarchy. Yeah. <laughs> Dan was like, you told me to, like, come for you when there's big deliveries. (laughs) I just imagine that, like, the music that was playing in the gym for however many hours they were open was just, like, the Deadwood equivalent of chopsticks, and that's why he was being slowly driven insane. (laughs) 
these hoopleheads yodeling about their various points of origin. <laughs> it's so funny, his anger at the piano and at himself for having ordered it. <laughs> I love that he thought that the piano was going to really upgrade the gem, too. I guess this was part of his, like, we've got to, Compete you know, with, with the Valley <laughs> Union. And so, and Dan was like, yeah, I want a piano. I'm ordering it the minute he says yes before he can change his mind. He seems to really enjoy the piano. Yeah, amazing. Well, if the piano is the nice, happy thing in this episode, the continuing deterioration of the Reverend is quite sad. I don't really know what else. To I say remember about that. that this was coming, and I was dreading it. Oh, because that actor no. is so fantastic. Who's playing the Reverend? Yeah, Ray McKinnon. Ray McKinnon, and um, the way that he controls his body and contorts his body, and sort of the mm. way that he's losing his faith in God is so devastating. Because he was like. A little ray of sunshine in this like bleak world because at least he had that and now mm-hmm. anyways it's really tough shit and pairing him with doc cochran who of course is like the most practical empathetic human being in deadwood is is just horrible because doc knows how, where this is heading wants to put him wants to help him in any way mm-hmm. he can be that ending his life it seemed like he was even offering to help him end it and maybe uh, i mean he offered that to trixie in the previous episode yeah hmm there's a whole new version of doc there's a oh my god especially now that we've learned that he was a grave robber i mean does he just want these bodies (laughs) (laughs) he definitely doesn't really he can't know what's going on with the reverend right like he thinks he has a lesion but i mean it's not like he can crack open his skull yeah there's no x-rays yeah again this is not Grey's anatomy (laughs) <laughs> it's not gonna happen I want to see that I want to see just a Grey's Anatomy take on Deadwood <laughs> I'll just put chasing cars behind like all oh this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> just, see how it, just see how it plays every scene is just loaded with sexual tension <laughs> just loaded some soft lighting and some snow patrol that's what we need except it would be chasing horses chasing carriages something like that but uh, it's sad, and it, it goes on longer than I thought it did, longer than I recalled it going on. This slow deterioration yes. of the Reverend, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about this letter. Oh, fuck. <laughs> this is the dumbest shit. What's the point of this? I didn't understand. I thought, like, Charlie was going to get to see the letter, because Charlie comes in right as the letter is being tucked away by Evie. Maybe eventually he will? Yeah, nothing really comes of it in this episode, except for we have to listen to the explanation of how the letter was disappeared. The guy shit his pants, went down to the river, left his pants there, the letter was in the pants, now we found the pants. I mean, what is this? It was a lot of talk about diarrhea that I did (laughs) not care for. I didn't want to look at the person's face while he talked about his own diarrhea. Yeah. That troubled me. Yeah. (laughs) It did! things to be like like i swear i didn't shit on the letter okay <laughs> it is kind of funny to watch eb try to you know be an alpha male to someone else but the whole thing is just way too convoluted and this feels feel like, like reverse it's bad engineering. writing it's reverse engineering they it i i am just imagining i don't have any sort of special intel but you know they had sort of ended bill's story 
and then maybe planting something that was going to pay off in the future, they realized that they needed some information or they mm-hmm. needed to re-invoke Bill's presence in some way. Mm-hmm. Or And they were just like, oh, well, we saw him writing a letter to his wife. We can bring it back. To me, that's weird, too, though, because we've got Jane leaving town. we got Charlie trying to be his next version of himself. Like, why do they need to bring back why, the why, Yeah, why is the the specter of Hickok important? I yeah, have no idea. I agree with that question. I don't understand why they brought it back. His specter is already there anyways. Like, we see how his death has affected literally everybody, so this letter seems, like, unnecessary. Just another little thing to give Farnham to do. I don't know. He's already got to be mayor. I mean, he's going to have plenty of duties, right, being fake mayor. I don't know. I think this is another sort of misstep, but we'll see if they... Yeah, change our minds, Deadwood. How did this end? In I don't episodes? remember how it all well, plays out. I guess we'll have so... to talk about it when we get there. Yeah, exactly. I just thought how Farnham was going to sell a letter for money. I mean, that would make sense, right? Yeah. The other person coming up in this episode is Johnny, who's going to take Persimmon Phil's whole job as, I guess, being in charge of the road agents. I'm still unclear on what exactly Persimmon Phil's job was. Yeah, I have have no clue. I don't remember what Persimmon Phil did. There was road agent involvement. There was maybe drug smuggling. Was there, yeah, maybe that's was, it. Was it drug bringing related? The, bringing the dope into town? Yeah. Because Al said I should have set up Persimmon Phil or, or his replacement as sort of like a more legitimate business that could be a front to my criminal activity, which is very all-encompassing. So Yeah. Al's yeah. got too many plates in the air. He wanted Charlie <laughs> Utter's business. He was like, oh, man, a freight and delivery service? That should have been me. <laughs> he should have had the gambling hall yeah. where the Chinese people live. I mean, he's really like... His entrepreneurial Slipping. spirit yeah. needs to reignite. He got too comfortable. Mm-hmm. He needs he needs to get back on his toes. Yeah, those Chinese signs were not right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is a PA that uh, tried to copy a few Chinese words and they were all backwards. <laughs> Come on. Bad times. I would love for Wu to actually get some lines at some point. In yeah. the last episode, we just see him in the street with Joni, and he makes eye right. contact with Joni. Mm-hmm. Well, the title of the next episode is Mr. Wu. Oh, hey! Oh, yay! <laughs> so, realize that you are gonna get your wish. All right, Sita, I cannot wait to hear what you think when we get a little bit more insight into Wu. I can't wait to see what Mr. Wu is up to. <laughs> Does he? What's his interior life about? Does he talk to the pigs? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> we shall see next week on Ladywood. Until Sweet. then, you can find us on Twitter at Ladywoodcast. You can find me at WeBrandy. That's O-U-I-B-R-A-N-D-I. I'm at Lynn Sternberger. And I'm at Slowbear, S-L-O-B-E-A-R. Thanks for listening. I don't quite know how to say how I feel those three words are sad too much they're not